0: What is up, Nets world? You know what it is, the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. We're coming off two Nets wins, the first of which a 28-point comeback at TD Garden against the Boston Celtics. That's the biggest comeback in the NBA this season, tied for the largest in Nets franchise history. I was there in Boston, and it was just an unbelievable performance. The Nets down by 28 in the second quarter coming off a 24-point loss to the New York Knicks in which they gave up 142 points. You think they've hit rock bottom. They go on an unbelievable run where they go, I think, 85-41 to against Boston, completely dominate, end up winning the game by 10 points, and then come away with a decisive victory over Charlotte Sunday. They're playing the Houston Rockets tonight, so a chance to extend to a three-game win streak and really gain some momentum with this new-look iteration of the team heading towards the playoffs. But we're hitting you with a Nets mailbag episode of this pod. We took some questions from users on Twitter, also through email about – A really a a bunch of different subjects that I'm excited to discuss, so let's get right into it. First question is from Ryan Newman. My question is about the $35 million elephant in the room, Ben Simmons. As someone close to the team and organization, how do you see the situation? Do his teammates and coaches still support him behind closed doors? Does the front office believe he can get back to his 2021 form next season, or do they all realize that they're stuck with him and are just trying to make the best of it? So obviously the first thing that you got to talk about when discussing Ben Simmons, he's missed now six games since the All-Star break with knee soreness. And then Jock Vaughn recently said that Simmons experienced soreness in his back after an MRI and there is no return date sight, or that the nets have relayed to anybody in the media so had the knee soreness coming out of the all-star break he said practice twice at the end of the all-star break then had that soreness ben simmons told me in chicago that he received a prp injection and had that knee drained a process that he also underwent in early november when he was missing time with knee soreness So this is now Ben Simmons' third extended absence with that left knee soreness. Also had a fourth extended absence with a calf strain. As you guys remember, he left a win over Orlando in the middle of the season. So this is now 20 games that Simmons has missed, and he's going to miss more now with their no return date in sight. So there's obviously a lot of question marks. When you're talking about what we have seen from Simmons this year, his confidence is just completely in the tank, and it's continued to tank following that series against Atlanta in 2020, 2021. And a big part of that, I do think, is physical limitations to this point. I mean, a huge part of his skill set, you saw it in Philadelphia earlier in his career. And this is a guy who is a three-time All-Star. He did make an All-NBA team, was a two-time first-team All-Defensive player. But a big part of his offensive game, he does have some moves in his bag and things, but Obviously has been limited in that area, but limited by a lack of a jump shot. And a big part of his success when scoring the basketball and just creating for others was I'm going to get downhill. I'm going to ferociously attack the rim. I'm going to body you and I'm going to finish above you at the basket, really play above the rim. And obviously with knee injuries, with this back injury, coming off back surgery, those are things that he just can't do right now. So that obviously has tanked his confidence. And then there's obviously a mental component that's tied into that. that. And both of those things have built upon each other to the point where he just doesn't even want to look at the rim in games. And I do think, you know, talking to coaches and talking to players that his teammates and coaches do still support him. You know, that's a great locker room that they have there with the Nets right now. I have no doubts about it, but you know there are definitely there is definitely a level of frustration with how the season has played out, and as was you know reported earlier in the year by Adrian Wojnarowski, this is obviously a different locker room with expectations shifting. Some something that I do think should theoretically help Ben if you can get back on the floor, but. I do think earlier in the season, there was a level of frustration with Simmons's lack of production and lack of availability. And I I don't think that this stretch with him exiting with what is a knee injury and now a back ailment is going to do anything to, you know, help that to subside. So, you know, I can't speak for what the front office feels with your question of do they believe that he can get back to his form next season? I, you know, from my eye, I would say it's extremely difficult that he can return to his all-star form in the near future. I think he will improve a year out from surgery. I wrote an article earlier this season about the type of surgery that Simmons underwent. It's called a microdissectomy, And basically what the aim of the surgery is, is they go into your back when you have a bulging disc that when you have a bulging disc, it presses on a nerve and that's what causes you the back pain. So what they do in this procedure is they go in, they clean up, uh, scar tissue fragments of the uh, of a uh, bone and disc, and they clean that up to get the disc off the nerve and relieve that. And there's been several studies done on players who have had this surgery. Uh, Michael Porter Jr.'s one. Brooke Lopez is one. There's Dwight Howard had it as well. There's a lot of players and the studies show that there's a huge difference in their physical performance a year out from surgery. So I do think that Simmons is going to improve physically, which should help his game. But I think it's very difficult to place a value or project where he's going to be at mentally, which is obviously a huge part of his struggles and limitations up to this point. So I can't speak for what the front office feels in terms of people talking about getting rid of him or trading him. He's on the books for the next two years, making $78 million total. And with where the nets are at in their process, I would not attach draft compensation to get rid of Ben Simmons because they're not a team that's going to be operating in caps with cap space. The only thing that would serve to do is help Joe size pockets, something that you know shouldn't be a priority right now when it comes to building this team out. And I would keep him. I'd hope that he returns to his form and can return to a place where he can do something. And if not, you eat it and you move on in what will be 2025, a year that we're going to talk about later when it comes to the free agent class, which is a nice time to have some money coming off the books. So that's my Ben Simmons take. Moving on. Does it make sense to trade Nick Claxton this offseason? If not, is he extension eligible at NYC DJ? The, class thing, the Claxton situation is a difficult one because his development this year has been absolutely incredible. Some numbers for you, just looking at the defensive end first, where he's been a perennial defensive player of the year candidate for most of the season, just doing unbelievable things. He's leading the league in total blocks, and he's second in blocks per game at 2.6. Jaron Jackson Jr. is first, but Clax has played 14 more games than him. And then you talk about what he can do on top of that rim production as just a Menace when guarding on the perimeter as a big in the Nets' switch-heavy scheme. He's guarded the most isolations in the NBA by a pretty drastic margin, defending over 160 this season. The next highest is in the 120s. He's allowing 0.79 points per possession on those plays. That ranks in the top three in the league among 30 players who have guarded 70 or more. He's the fourth highest-rated defensive player in the league in terms of efficiency. And he's also made a huge leap offensively, as we've seen earlier in the year particularly. He's still leading the league in field goal percentage. That offensive jump and his production on that end has slowed down a little bit of late with the departure of Kevin Durant and obviously Kyrie Irving, but has still added a lot of things in terms of self-creation late in the shot clock, out of a short roll, his uh, his bag of moves of hooks and different things finishing around the rim, whether off offensive, offensive rebounds or dump downs into the post. Clax is set to make $8.75 million next season, so that may be the best value salary in the league in terms of you know salary to production i would think he'll be looking for a contract extension this offseason after the year he's had i i would project that looking something uh looking like something similar to jared allen's deal with the cavs after the nets traded him which was 5 years 100 million i don't know if the nets would give that You know, whether they're looking for that length or, you know, Claxton with his age may be looking for a shorter length on that, but something around that $20 million per year range, I think, would be what would be fair for Claxton, given what he can do on defense and his ceiling and just his youth. He's only 23 years old. The argument for a trade, which is something that people have been talking about somewhat on Nets Twitter lately would be Claxton's value is just insanely high right now. You could land multiple first-round picks for him with teams looking to obtain his bird rights. You know, a multi-positional defender who can impact the game that he does would just be massive for a litany of contending teams but i'm not big on the idea of trading a 23 year old multi-positional defender who's making serious strides offensively as well he's 23 years old he matches the Nets' timeline right now that seems like the exact kind of player that you want to have within the organization with room to grow and with room to maybe build that value up even more if you do decide you want to move on from him not that You know, I don't really understand understand why the Nets would. So I would lean strongly towards keeping him in a Nets uniform. Ultimately, that decision will obviously depend on the Nets' viewpoints on his ceiling and what he's done this season and whether or not they see room for growth. But based on the areas where he's making his money, which is a high motor, rim protection, defensive versatility, his finishing is the thing that I – there would be the most sensible argument about the variance of whether that will continue, but he's making his money and impacting the game in the biggest way in things that are effort based and a product of his physical tools that don't project to slow down with him at you know such a young age. So I would want to keep Claxton in the Nets uniform and hopefully get him on an extension that pays him something that he's happy with and will keep him you know motivated as the Nets transition into this new era. Next question. Why is Cam Thomas in Jock Vaughn's doghouse? Seth Curry really shouldn't be getting minutes over a young guy at trader par with the question. In my eyes, it comes down to the same things it always has for Cam Thomas. He struggles to fill a complimentary role and has overall been inefficient when doing so in his first, you know, almost now two seasons in the NBA. Obviously, Cam was unbelievable during that three-game stretch, you know, in the midst of the Kyrie Irving trade saga, where he scored 40 points in three straight, became the youngest player in NBA history to do so. It was unbelievable. But that role was which is where cam has been in his best when he's gotten the limited opportunities to do so is an extremely high usage lead scoring option where he can just dominate the ball and he's been successful and proved that he can fill it up as a scorer when he gets those opportunities but ultimately with cam's skill set and you know some other things i'm going to touch on in a minute that's not the role that he's going to fill he's a complimentary guy he's not as good of a player as mikhail bridges as cam johnson as some of these guys that the nets have who aren't even you know top tier players that you would want to be leading a title uh contention team so you know when you when I'm looking at this through Vaughn's lens and why Cam hasn't played a lot in the last two games Cam Thomas has only played seven minutes in each Seth Curry has played double that which I don't agree with I'm going to touch on in a minute but when looking at it you know from the coaching staff sense and Vaughn's sense and why Cam isn't playing a lot right now after the Nets just reset their timeline I think a lot of it comes down to his shot chart and the type of things that he's doing on the floor. Cam takes 55% of his shots in the mid-range. 55%. It's a massive number. That's the 96th percentile among guards in the NBA in terms of frequency in the mid range. And he hasn't been efficient taking those shots this year. He's shooting 40% from those areas. That ranks in the 35th percentile among guards. So below average, not good. And I think it's important to keep in mind when you discuss that, that Mikhail Bridges' mid range game, which has been very efficient, is already dominating the Nets' offense. Bridges is taking 50% of his shots from the mid range. So he takes a ton of shots that the Nets coaching staff has been vocal that they don't want to rely on, and he's not even making them at a high rate. So when you look at that and you look at Bridges' mid-range heavy game leading the offense, the Nets are going to want guys around that that are can either provide rim pressure or are very good three-point shooters. And Cam has just showed that the type of shot diet that he's inclined to take doesn't match up with what the Nets want. And that is exacerbated by the fact that they have a mid-range reliance, not reliant, but mid-range heavy scorer leading the offense in Mikhail Bridges. And, you know, that's not even mentioning his defensive struggles. So there seems to be an ideological uh, split between the Nets coaching staff and Cam Thomas that isn't helping him get minutes right now. Having said that, I still don't see the sense in playing Seth Curry over him. Seth is 32 years old and on an aspiring contract. He should in no way factor into the Nets' long-term plans. Ultimately, It's on the Nets' coaching staff to get through to Cam Thomas about how they want him to play because he has shown improvement from three this season, which was one of my main concerns about his game. In February, he shot 41% from three on 5.1 attempts per game. So you want to let that set up your mid-range game, not the other way around. And Cam has to get more comfortable shooting off the catch. He has to defensively provide just He hasn't been terrible lately, but he's got to provide an overall or gain an overall understanding and better sense of defensive principles and rotations. And if he can commit to attempting to play that way, there should be no reason that he doesn't see significant minutes for a team that just traded away. KD and Kyrie are not contenders uh, anymore. Reset the timeline to the future. So ultimately it's on Jock Vaughn. It's on the Nets coaching staff to get through to cam about how they want him to play. And if so, and he does do that, they should be playing him a lot of minutes and really leaning into the development of young guys. Staying on the Cam Thomas subject, if you could flip Cam Thomas for a late lottery pick this summer, you do it, right? He can score, but he's so deficient in team basketball and not a great team-first attitude either. At SYC 2-2. I think the Nets would strongly consider it if it's a lottery pick, trading Cam Thomas, because I don't think they're in love with his shot profile and his Relation and how they want to play, as I just said, but we did see what Cam did during that three game stretch and that cannot be just overlooked and, you know, completely set aside because the potential is there. I personally don't think that that potential is great enough for him to be a top two scorer on a championship level team just because that's not how the nets operates nowadays it's, it's extremely difficult for guards six three or under to fill those kinds of roles if you are that small as a guard you better be a lethal shooter in order to set up your three level scoring or you better be an insane athlete along the lines of a uh, john Morant, which cam is it right now he's improving as a shooter, which is encouraging, but he's not that elite athlete. And right now he is an inefficient shooter, you know, taking shots from not where you want him to. So he just hasn't been that up to this point in his career, but he is a natural scorer. And you have to remember the kid is 21 years old. That's so incredibly young. Just, you know, I know that. We're in the age of instant gratification in just NBA and society as a whole, and everybody wants everybody to be so good right now. But this is a kid who, you know, Mikael Bridges is 26, year old, 26 years old, Cam Johnson, 26 years old. There are guys that don't figure it out and reach into their primes until they're you know, 24, 25, 26 years old is the beginning of that. We're seeing that with guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and I'm in no way comparing Cam Thomas to those guys, because as I just said, I don't think he can be a top two guy on a championship contending team but i think there's a ton of room to grow because of his because of his youth and because of his potential and if i'm the nets i'm not selling on cam yet given you just reset the timeline you should have incentive to play him next year and hopefully build his fault his value far greater in the coming years but you know I will admit that their hesitancy to play him big minutes following that trade deadline and following resetting that timeline is somewhat concerning in my opinion. So I can't say that they wouldn't entertain a trade for a lottery pick. But if I'm the Nets, I'm you know trying to get through to Cam and trying to harness his, his skill set into the way that I want the team to play. And I'm trying to build his value over the coming years for someone who's incredibly young. And there really should be no reason that he's not seeing consistent minutes in the coming years if – the coaching staff and the development staff can do their jobs. Next question from at Orlando Allen staying on the backup backcourt theme. Why is Seth Curry still getting all those minutes knowing he's a free agent in the summer? Will Edmund Sumner be back in the rotation at any point soon? So when you're talking about Seth Curry and, you know, I touched on it briefly, but I think the reason the Nets are playing him is that they're a team that is light on ball handlers, light on shot graders, and they want more of that shot creation and 3.4 spacing in the backcourt and all the negatives I listed above for Cam Thomas theoretically are much different for Seth Curry because he's an elite three-point shooter, but he doesn't look anything like that high-level offensive threat that he did last season. Right now, he's struggling in a big way all year while coming off of off-season ankle surgery. Over his last 10 games, Seth is 26 of 69 from the field. That's 37.7%. 8 of 37 from 3, 21.6%. We are seeing him well, not nearly at the same rate that Cam Thomas does. He is taking some pull-up and step-back mid-range shots that I just frankly don't think are great shots. He's coming off of an 0 for 8, 0 for 5 from 3 performance against Charlotte. That was honestly one of the worst performances I've seen from him in a long time. So I get it. You know, you still want to win. I understand that aspect of it and having a veteran piece who maybe you think in the backcourt can provide spacing, provide some shot creation, can maybe calm things down a little bit. But this team isn't getting past the first round. You know, I would be extremely surprised if they did. You should be leaning into the development of gun of younger guys here. That should be a no-brainer for this team. And that should entail playing a guy like Cam Thomas a lot more. And if Seth Curry is at, you know, I think he should just not be playing big minutes altogether because he's not going to be a part of the Nets' plans past this season, or at least he shouldn't. But if you're going to play him, he better be really, really, really good and having a significant palpable impact on winning, which he just hasn't. So Cam Thomas should be playing much more minutes, in my opinion. I think a guy like even Edmund Sumner should be seeing time. Will he be back in the rotation? I'm not hopeful about it. You know, I heard Jock Vaughn talking about Edmund recently, obviously just had a, uh, his first child, which, you know, big congratulations to Edmund. That's awesome. And the Nets, you know, let him, let him be away from the team for a few games for personal reasons, which is great because he just had a kid. But I think for a guy, if a guy was in the rotation in that situation, there would be or plans to get him back in the rotation. There would be a little bit more of an urgency to get him back in. And I heard Jock Vaughn talking about it and Jock Vaughn said, you know, Edmund just had a baby has not been in the rotation. We wanted to let him have that time with his wife and his kids. So it doesn't sound like there's a lot of urgency to get him back into the rotation in the near future. I hope he does see another opportunity this year, but that's just what it's looking like right now. Next question from Atlantic Atlantic av What do you predict cam Johnson's contract will look like cam is obviously a restricted free agent this off season. Phoenix discussed a four year contract extension with Cam worth between 66 and 72 million before the season. That's according to our boy Michael Skoto from Hoops Hype. Johnson turned that down. So Johnson turned that down. That was around $17 million per year, that deal. With the salary cap set to rise, it's safe to say that Cam should be expecting more, I would think, than that number. And he does have some leverage over the Nets. I mean, when you're looking at the situation, the Nets just acquired Cam as a core piece for Kevin Durant, who is the best player in Nets, you know, to ever wear a Nets uniform. So, and one of the best players to ever be traded in the history of the NBA. So, letting Cam walk would be disastrous from an optics perspective and from a team building standpoint. So, Cam has leverage over the Nets in the sense that they're not going to want to let him walk for nothing because that would just be a there would be riots and pickets outside of the HSS trading center and or Barclay center and or Joe size penthouse. If the Nets let cam Johnson walk, it's important to note, as I said, that Johnson is a restricted free agent, not an unrestricted free agent. So the Nets can extend him an $8 million qualifying off qualifying offer. And by doing so, they will have the right to match offers for him made by other teams. And you look at the teams who have cat space this summer it's mostly not elite teams, obviously. It's the Rockets, $61 million. The Spurs, somewhere in the $45 million range. The Jazz, high 30s. Magic, um, somewhere out of 20s or 30s. Hornets, 20s or 30s. Thunder, 30. Pistons, 30. Pacers, 28. I'd say the biggest threats in that group are obviously the teams who are trying to you know, make a playoff push and regain a competitive status in the coming years. That's the jazz or, or in next season, I'd say that's the jazz magic thunder pistons, pacers all fit that bill. I'm not sure the nets want to be at the mercy of the market because teams are always looking for guys who are six foot, you know, Cam Johnson, six foot eight, can guard multiple positions, can shoot the three at one of the best rates in the league, also is showing a lot more in terms of self-creation this season with Devin Booker out in Phoenix and also with the Nets now stepping into more of a lead scoring role. So he's a very desirable player archetype. I think that on the right deal with his ceiling and his potential, he could be of great value to the next team that signs him. So, you know, like I said, I don't think the Nets want to be playing around with the market there, or at least they shouldn't. I would guess a four-year deal between 75 and 80 million. Mikael Bridges is at four years, 90 million. So right below that. And if the Nets can get Cam at that number of say four years at um, 19 or $20 million per year with the cap set to rise, as I just said, and if Cam and McHale can continue their upward trajectory in the next years. Those are going to be extremely valuable contracts. McHale is already going to be one of the better contracts in the league. So two potentially extremely valuable contracts that will be valuable in terms of the Nets building this team out or will have tremendous value on the trade deadline for contenders in the coming years. So that is my Cam Johnson contract take. A very exciting young player that I'm pumped up to see what he does in the coming years next question from at ramon castro do you think dfs will continue being the small ball five or will nerlands noel prevent the nets from using the small ball lineup again obviously the nets signed nerlands noel who agreed to a buyout with detroit they signed the center to a 10 uh, day contract and I don't think that Nerlens Noel is preventing the Nets from doing anything. I mean, he's on a 10-day contract, although I think that he will be signed for the rest of the year. You have to remember with Nerlens that this is a guy that who has played in less than 40 games over the last two seasons combined. I do think he'll help as a rim protector and rebound just to offer the Nets some of its size and an experienced option behind Nick Claxton, something that they haven't said with uh, they haven't had with Ben Simmons out and with De'Ron Sharp, just not showing much development this second year. Talking about Finney Smith at the five, when you look at lineups and the numbers of them with Finney Smith at center um, in the small ball groups, they're not great. Um, the Nets have a negative seven net rating with DFS on the floor and Nick Claxton, Dayron Sharp, and Ben Simmons all off the floor. So that's not great. When they have both DFS and Claxton on the floor, they have a plus 8.6 net rating, net rating, which is outstanding. That obviously says a lot about how important Claxton is to what they do. But you know, the numbers aren't great for the DFS small ball five lineups, but the Nets did play a really impressive stretch with DFS at the five against Boston when they went on that incredible run. And if he's knocking down his threes, those lineups can work because Finney Smith does have the ability to play bigger using his strength, his size, and his athleticism. And I think we'll see it still, those small ball lineups with DFS in the middle you know, even with Newlands Noel being in the picture, but it'll definitely be heavily matchup dependent moving forward. That's my take on that. Next question, a little bit of an, a big picture question. What is the realistic path to a championship for the Nets? That's from at Mandel Capital. I would say when you're looking at where the Nets are following the disastrous last three seasons of the KD Kyrie era following those two bombshell trades of the deadline, I'd be looking to build this team out Without any shortcuts, no fast track, no shortcuts actually need to start investing into the team. They have to be able to draft some homegrown players, something that Shaw Marks has been very good at in recent years, especially late in the draft. But now they're going to have picks or multiple picks in every draft, even with them you know, having those picks out going to Houston, they still have the swaps. They still have picks from Philadelphia and from Phoenix and obviously a future unprotected first round pick from Dallas. That could be very valuable down the line. So when you're looking at, you know, not the long, long term, somewhere in the four to five year window, I would be focusing on the development of the core four young guys on the roster, who in my eyes are Mikhail Bridges, Nick Claxton, Cam Johnson, and Cam Thomas. All those guys are 26, Bridges and Cam Johnson are 26, Nick Claxton, 23, Cam Thomas, 21. So those are young guys who have flashed serious potential at points who you can build upon and really just lean into their development over the coming years. I would not be surprised by anyone outside of that group being traded this summer. Everybody who is 29 or above, I would be expecting to be serious trades candidates. And there's really three guys who are going to have value in that area on the trade market. That's Spencer Dinwiddie, that's Dorian Finney-Smith, and that's Royce O'Neal's guys that I think the Nets will look potentially to move this summer. I think they could look to hold on to Dinwiddie. They could look to hold on to any of them, but I would think that Those are guys that would be prime trade candidates given their potential value to a contender and their age. All those guys are 28 or 29 years old. So like I said, focus on that development and draft for the next couple of years. The Nets have 11 plus first rounders over the next seven years now. So if there's a player that they love early in a draft, they have the capital to try to move up. And I think that's something that they'll look to do and something that could be very important. Because when you look at the contenders, obviously the Nets For the last few years, it had been the KD Kyrie signing. It had been the quick, you know, just jolt up into the contender status. But when you look at a lot of the contending teams around the league, most of them have a homegrown star of some sort. A lot of those guys came in the top two or three picks of the draft, like the Celtics with Tatum or the 76ers with Embiid, you know, guys like that. But there are also teams that have been able to find good value either, you know, in the early, But there are teams who have been able to find really good value and develop guys into stars kind of in that – 7 to 15 range that late lottery range that the Nets could potentially trade up into you look at those teams the Bucks drafted Giannis 15th overall and then they also got Chris Middleton at 39th in the second round which is insane value the Nuggets drafted Jamal Murray 7th overall they drafted obviously Jokic was the second round pick which is just unbelievable the Suns Devin Booker 13th overall the Warriors Steph 7th overall and Clay 11th overall so you have the option to trade up into that range Range where you have the ability to take a swing on a guy that you can believe to uh, you believe who can uh, develop into a star if you identify someone. So development of those four guys I talked about on the roster and draft and try to find some real value there. And if you can feel the cop in a team that competes for the playoffs while doing that, then I would have my eye on the twenty twenty five free agent class because there's lots of big names that are hitting the market in that year. That's going to be the talk around the league. Giannis, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, Anthony Davis, Brandon Ingram, Jamal Murray, Laurie Markinen, all free agents in that class. There's going to be a lot of star names and a lot of guys. And if the Nets can feel the competent team, I think it would be short-sighted and foolish to just assume that the Nets are never going to be be a free agent destination again, because regardless of whatever you think about the team, about them or the LA Clippers, the two little stepbrother teams, like they like to call them in the major cities, they're still in New York City, they're still in Los Angeles, they're still desirable places that people want to live for lifestyle purposes, for business purposes, for opportunity purposes, purposes, all of that stuff, so... That's how I build the team out in short summary you know, a few things, main points there, lean into the development of those four guys draft well, and then maybe an eye on that free agent class in 2025, I think is the overarching big picture view of the net situation moving forward. Next question, sticking on the draft. What the, what should the nets do with their two first round picks this year, draft two players trade up or trade one of the first for a 2024, or 2026, when we don't have our own first that's at Joe underscore Martin 13. I just touched on it. The nets have, Two picks in this year's draft. They have their own, and they also have the Phoenix Suns pick from the KD trade. Like I said, I haven't had a chance yet, being in the middle of the season and on the beat, to look at the draft prospects yet. I have heard that there are some very intriguing prospects in that late lottery range that I was just talking about. The Nets picks right now, I'm pretty sure, are 21st. 20 or 21st with their own and then 21st or 22nd with Phoenix's. So they're in the early twenties right now, they could potentially package those with either another veteran player to a contender or their future picks. If they want to move up, if they like guys in that 20 range, they could stick. I would think that they'd want to draft guys in this draft to, you know, kind of have that development phase going forward before they try to transition more into a competitive era after a year or two. But like I said, I haven't looked at the draft class yet, but I think the big point to take away when you're looking at the next draft this year is that they have multiple picks. They have multiple picks moving forward. They have players who should be valuable to a contender. So if there's someone that they identify who they really like earlier than where they're selecting, they have the option to try to move up and take a swing on that guy. Or they can stay put if they think that there's guys that they like because 20, 21, 22, where those two picks are going to be, not a bad range for Sean Marks who has, has You know, whatever criticisms you have of Sean Marks has a very good track record of drafting late in drafts. When you're looking at that draft track record late in the first round, he took Karis Levert, 20th, which obviously you know saw big returns for the Nets. Jared Allen, 22nd. That's turned into one of the best defenders in the league. Nick Claxton, 31st, first pick of the second round. You know, Just unbelievable development in his fourth year with Brooklyn. And then identified Cam Thomas at 27th overall, who obviously the jury is still out but has shown extreme potential and with those three games to 40-plus joined a class that only includes LeBron James, which is pretty unbelievable. So you know sean marks has the track record of finding guys and even if he has somebody earlier that he identifies that he likes as i said and have driven the point home they have the option to move up in the draft so i'm going to have more look at the prospects as we move forward but that's what i would say just as a big picture look at it next question at t-rex 1199 do you trust the front office going forward Obviously, there's a lot going into that question. We saw how things played out between KD and Kyrie. We've run through the blame game, which is just exhausting at this point. I'm not doing it again. I'm not going to do it. So when you're talking about the front office, I think there is some concern about Sean Marks and his inexperience with stars in this league and how he was able or unable to handle the relationships with Kevin Durant and with Kyrie Irving and not really drawing a line in the sand and being able to control. But you know, when you look at it, it's very tough to control stars of that magnitude with egos of that size. So I think there are some concerns about Sean Marks taking that next step, but with where the nets are right now, I'm pretty confident and comfortable with him leading a rebuild or retool, whatever you want to call it, just because of what I said about him identifying you know, talent latent drafts. And on top of that, he's also been able to identify G League talents. We saw guys like Joe Harris, like Spencer Dimwitty, who turned into very, you know, serviceable players in this league, identified from the G League early on in Sean Marks's Nets tenure. So that, along with his ability to draft, makes me comfortable, you know, with him going forward. But If the Nets get to a point where they're starting to show some serious promise and they have to make that next step into serious title contention and winning a championship, I think that's where the concerns lie with Sean Marks. But for the time being, I think that he's a guy that should be able to effectively uh, lead this next phase based off of what he's shown his track record in the past. Next question, do you think Utah Watanabe, Utah the Shooter is getting re-signed? That's from my boy at NBA Young Hub. Utah the Shooter has been pushed out of the Nets rotation as of late to the gripes and the grim of the Nets fan base who loved Utah earlier in the year, and I was in that camp, a huge Utah guy with things that he did, led the NBA in three-point percentage earlier in the year, and was really just... A high energy, high motor player for the Nets that I was really, really impressed with. And I really hope that whether with the Nets or with somebody else, he gets a chance to stick in the league. He's been pushed out of the rotation because obviously the Nets are just loaded at wing right now with the acquisitions of Cam Johnson, uh Mikhail Bridges, and Dorian Finney Smith, on top of already having Royce O'Neal and Joe Harris. So they're they're loaded. Yuta being out of the rotation. I think there's a sound argument with some of Joe Harris's struggles recently that he could have been in the rotation over him. But Joe had a nice game last game and does present more of a three-point threat on higher volume in a perfect world. But I still think that that's a conversation that could be ongoing just with Harris's advanced age and with Yuda, you know, being a little bit of a spark plug at times of who should be at the end of that rotation. But Harris is even seeing getting his minutes trimmed. And the Nets want to, Jock Vaughn has said to me and others that they want to keep trimming that rotation down to around nine guys. So I just think that there's too many guys for Yuda to be in that rotation. Is he getting re-signed? Him being out of the rotation isn't a good sign in regards to that because I don't think that given him being out of the rotation right now, that the Nets are gonna, you know, wanna commit some of a mid-level exception, which is what they're gonna have or part of a mid-level exception next summer, anything more than the minimum salary to keep Utah in Brooklyn. But there is a alternate path where if they are high on Uta, you could potentially, I guess, see, like I said earlier, a Dorian Finney-Smith or a Royce O'Neal get traded, which would then open more minutes for a guy like Utah Watanabe. But if that were the case and the Nets were that high on Utah, where they're going to use those resources on him, wouldn't they just be playing him right now? So it's a little bit of a catch-22. But then also, you know, if you want to trade these guys, you got to have them in the rotation so i guess there's a world where an argument could be made that maybe they're not playing yuda because they don't want his value to go up to the point where they have to sign him for a lot more than the minimum so you know just but just based on what yuda did earlier in this year and he is an archetype of a player that is valuable in this league i don't know if he's it's it's tough to say that he's ready to um play for a contender i don't think that but it is plausible for a team that maybe is younger looking to build like some of the teams I noted with cap space earlier for them to give him a deal that is in the five to you know, five to $10 million range and take a flyer on him. And I think that there's a team that is out there, which I think could be plausible that I think the Nets may just be okay with letting him walk in that situation, or they could look to resign him on a deal using part of the mid-level exception. So if I had to, um, bet on it right now. I would say that yuda is gone, but hopefully there is a chance that he could be back. And I would love to see him back in the Nets uniform because I do think he's a valuable guy to have on the team just in terms of his effort, his energy, his attitude, even when he's not playing, he's into the games. He's always cheering it for his teammates. He's hopping off the bench in big plays. Just a really great guy that I love. It's good to the media. And he's just a guy that seems like he's a nice presence to have around the team. So maybe the Nets see some value in that. And maybe he could be back. Last question from at DRock on Twitter. What do you think about pursuing Kristaps Porzingis, the zinger, either via trade or free agency, as a foundational piece alongside Mikhail Bridges? I don't love the idea, simply because Porzingis has a player option for $36 million this year. I think that he is considered a building block for that Wizards team that is... I mean, they're good, I guess, but they're just meddling in mediocrity and seem fine with it and didn't make any moves at the trade deadline. They've said that they're content on building around a big three of a big three. I'm doing huge air quotes in case you guys can't see it of Bradley Beal, Kristaps Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma. Good luck with wherever that's going to get you. But if Porzingis opts into that $36 million player option, there isn't a route where the Nets are going to conceivably trade for him and he'll be 29 after next season with an extensive injury history when he hits free agency if he opts into that deal. So I'd be looking at a much younger timeline. I'm not interested with guys who are 29, 30, 31. And if I'm going to dip my toe into that 29 to 30 range, it's definitely not for a guy who has extensive injury history and injury concerns moving forward. So count me out on Kristaps Porzingis. That does it. For the mailbag pod, those were all the questions we had. I apologize if I didn't get to yours. I tried to take as many as I could and the ones that I thought really had some applicable storylines. Nets are playing in Houston tonight, as I said, with a chance to extend a three-game win streak. They're opening up a five-game road trip with stops in, I know, Minnesota, Milwaukee, Denver, OKC, I think, after Houston. So some tough games, but also some winnable games mixed in there. We'll see if the Nets can keep building upon Mikhail Bridges' success, which I detailed recently an article about his mid-range game and what he's doing for 30 plus point games for McHale in his last seven appearances. He did that twice in his first four and a half years in Phoenix. So Really exciting, impressive stuff from McHale, and I'm, you know, pretty pumped up to see about what he can do moving forward with that three level scoring game. We've even started to see him knock down some pull up threes. Something that I think you should be watching out for that can be a dramatic ceiling raiser if he can routinely knock down those shots, along with his mid range game and his ability to get to the rim. So, you know, some some good things happening after things were starting to look pretty grim with the Nets, with that comeback win over Boston, really sparking it. That does it for this episode of Believe in Nets on the Believe Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for everything happening across the sports and entertainment world. I'm your host, Eric Slater. You can find all of my articles, news updates, analysis on ClutchPoints.com, daily coverage there. You can follow me at Eric Slater underscore on Twitter for more analysis, live game updates, post-game, pre-game quotes, all of it. Appreciate you guys for listening and following along this season. I'm looking forward to giving you more coverage. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.